As um, you've been following along in the last few weeks, we've been talking about love and receiving and obeying. And this week we turn to fight, a kingdom at war. And if you've read the detail on the flyer that accompanies the journey that we're on, it says obedience to God is a battle blow against a powerful spiritual enemy. Our physical efforts have spiritual effects. There's a spiritual battle between the kingdoms of God and of the world. We have unimaginable power as subjects of the kingdom. We have unimaginable power as subjects of the kingdom. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for unimaginable power. We thank you, Lord, that you have equipped us to stand in the face of every trial and every circumstance that comes our way. We thank you, Lord, that you have not left us powerless, but powerful. So we pray this morning, Lord, as we look to your word, Father, that you would grant us the wisdom and the understanding to know, Lord, how to use the weapons that you have provided us in the warfare that we are in effectively. May we go from this place, Lord, committed to walking more fully in the calling that you have upon our lives. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage of scripture for this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And it says, be Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So there stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the word sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. As we just read, our scripture passage for today comes from Ephesians chapter 6. But before we delve into that, let's talk a little bit about what precedes it. When I look at the book of Ephesians, I see a theme present throughout it, and that theme is reconciliation. 
Reconciliation also brings to mind for me the idea of reconciling accounts. I remember when I was a child and I would watch my mom balance her checkbook. And the reason for this was to make sure that what she thought she had in her checkbook was the same amount that the bank also said that she had. So in other words, reconciling meant that she and the bank had to come together. In other words, they had to agree. This same idea is present in Ephesians. Paul tells us of the great mystery or plan of God to reconcile or bring together all things in Christ. Specifically, he speaks of God reconciling Jews and Gentiles to one another through the work of Christ. Christ is the bridge that reconciles us to God. And likewise, he is the bridge that reconciles Jews and Gentiles to one another. In Christ, they are no longer Jew or Gentile, no longer two separate peoples, but one new people. Ephesians chapter 2, 14 through 20 puts it this way. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a cornerstone. In addition, I want to share one additional scripture with you, and that in this scripture, Paul ensures the Gentiles that they are not partial, but full-fledged members of the family of faith. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 6 through 10 says, that is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I think I need to read that again. So that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety may now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. God has chosen the church to be the place where this act of reconciliation is demonstrated to the entire world. 
Think about that. We are supposed to be an example to the world of how we have been unified through the work of Christ. And many hundreds of years later, how do you think we are doing with that? We have heard for decades that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. Has that really changed? Yes, we have seen a rise in the number of churches where people of different ethnicities come to worship together. But are we really together or are we just politely sharing the space? From what I read in Ephesians, we are called to do more than simply share the space. We are called to become one. And this, my friends, is where the battle really begins. We must understand that there are forces, spiritual forces, that would prefer that we were not reconciled and united. There are forces working together even now, Satan himself doing all that they can to keep us from really becoming one. This battle is so great that Paul is now in prison because of his commitment to proclaim its message. Think about it. This message, the bringing together of different groups of people in Christ is what has landed Paul in prison. And yet, here he is still proclaiming it. So when I come to chapter 6, I can't then divorce myself of all the foundation that Paul has laid in the preceding chapters. Yes, there are many spiritual battles that we face as believers, but I believe that the battle that we face to become one is a foundational battle. It is with that backdrop that I want us to look at the end of Ephesians. Beginning in verse 10 of ch chapter 6, Paul outlines the responsibility that we have to stand against the enemy and the parts of God's armor that we must be sure to put on in order to accomplish this. Our first job is to prepare ourselves so that we will be able to stand when the attacks from the enemy come. And we do that by putting on God's armor. During his imprisonment, Paul was probably chained to a Roman soldier. So he had ample time to examine and study his armor and figure out how it worked. And it became a perfect example and analogy for him to use to explain to us how to use our spiritual army to prepare for battle. While the Roman soldier's army was specifically designed for fighting earthly battles, God's armor is specifically designed for fighting spiritual battles. It is what we must put on in order to be able to stand against the enemy who would divide us. And we just can't put on parts of it. We must put on the whole armor so that we will be protected in every area. So what is this armor and how do we use it? First is the belt of truth which was worn around the waist. It was used to protect the thighs and provide a place to tuck in articles of clothing in order to allow for greater freedom of movement. So the first part of our armor is truth. One thing Satan loves to do is to distort the truth. That's what he did with Eve in the garden. He would like us to believe something different than what God has actually declared in his word. He would also like us to believe something different about one another than what is actually true. In short, he would rather we believe a lie. He will perpetrate a lie simply to divide us. So it is our responsibility to outfit ourselves with the truth. 
Sometimes the truth is different from what we have learned from our families, from our communities, and believe it or not, from the media. Sometimes we have been fed erroneous information about one another, but it is our responsibility to discover the truth and to make it the primary source that we turn to when Satan comes to us with lies. And we discover the truth about one another by developing relationships with one another. There is no other way to discover who we all are unless we develop authentic relationships with one another. Then and only then are we able to discover and know the truth about each other for ourselves. Secondly, we have the breastplate of righteousness. Worn on the Roman soldier, it was a metal plate that protected the chest and back and subsequently the heart. In our relationship with God, righteousness can be simply defined as being in right standing with him. What does that mean for us in our spiritual battle? It actually means the same thing. We are to be in right standing with one another. You see, we can't be in right standing with God and not be in right standing with one another. In this new family that we are now a part of, our relationships with one another must also be right. We are supposed to be one. And we can't be one if we are not rightly associated and related to one another. This requires that we keep the lines of communication open, even if that means having some difficult conversations about difficult topics. We don't even have to agree, but our hearts must be right. If we don't do this, we are not fully clothed in righteousness with one another. Next, our feet are to be dressed with whatever will make us ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. In bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles, God was bringing peace. As we read earlier, Christ broke down the wall of hostility that divided them. We have to make every effort to maintain peace with one another. No matter what happens in the body, we must be committed to peace. The hostility that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles must exist no longer among us. Why? Because we are one. So when we carry a message, may it be a message of peace. How many times do we go about spreading everything else but peace? That should not be. We are to be peacemakers because Christ has made peace with us. We are to make peace with one another. The shield of faith is an interesting piece of the Roman armor. It was wide enough to cover the entire body and would have been soaked in water so that when the enemy shot its fiery darts at it, they would not ignite. What do you do when the enemy attacks you? Do you stand behind your shield of faith? As Hebrews 11:1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Faith is powerful. The enemy is going to attack our relationships with one another. What will you do when he does? Will you stand in faith on what you expect God to do even though you don't yet see it? Or will you allow him to convince you to give up believing that we really can be united? Your faith is what enables you to remain and stand in the fight. 
fifth, we have the helmet of salvation. God has crowned us with salvation. We are not who we used to be. That is one of the proclamations that Paul makes to the Gentiles at the beginning of Ephesians. You are not who you used to be. Likewise, we are not, I'm sorry, yeah, likewise, we are not who we used to be. We have been saved by grace. And because of our salvation, we are different. Our salvation is what makes the difference. We are new. We think differently. What we used to think about one another, we should no longer think. We behave differently. How we used to behave toward one another, we should no longer behave. Not only are we different from who we once were, but now we are of the same body. Subsequently, what I think and believe about you, I also think and believe about myself. How I behave toward you, I also behave toward myself. Our salvation in Christ makes us one. If we are to stand in this spiritual battle, we must stand on that. Sixth, we have the sword of the Spirit, God's Word. What cuts the enemy down when he comes to us is not some earthly weapon, but the word of God. That's exactly what Jesus did when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He didn't launch into some physical fight with him. He simply quoted God's word. God's word is the only offensive weapon in our spiritual armor, and it's the only offensive weapon that we need. We must know specifically what the Word of God says about our situation, about who He is, about who we are, both individually and as a body. That way, we are not deceived when Satan comes to us with erroneous information. When Satan attempts to divide us, we must know that God Himself, through Christ, has brought us together. And finally, and most importantly, we must pray in the spirit. How often do we actually pray for our unity as the body of Christ? I don't just mean praying for the church universal, but I mean praying right here in this local body for unity. If we expect to be one, we have to pray that God would empower us to do so. We must pray for and with one another. We must pray for the challenges that we face both individually and corporately. We must pray that we will act in ways that will foster unity and not division. We must pray that God will renew our minds with the truth. In short, we must pray about everything and for everyone. So ask yourself a question. How do we look this morning? Look around you. Do we really look like the church? Are you sitting with who you always sit with? Have you ventured to sit beside somebody who doesn't look like you? Are we looking like the church? That's what God is calling us to be, the church. The world should look in here and see something different than what they see out there. That's who we are to be. And I don't know about you, but my toes got stomped on this morning in this message. <laughs> God is calling us to be an example, and we have a responsibility to live up to it. So I want to leave you with one visual. The Roman army was known for marching into battle shield to shield. 
These shields were like two feet by four feet and covered their entire body. And they would line up shield to shield and march into battle. And this formation, this tactic of going into battle made them, them a formidable army to come in contact with. So the question I have for you this morning is, are we united shield to shield against our true enemy? Or are we actually united shield to shield against one another? Do we even know who our real enemy is? Do you remember the statement that I read at the beginning? We have unimaginable power as subjects of the king. Unimaginable power. Are we living in that power? Because if only we would truly stand with one another like the Romans did, shoulder to shoulder and shield to shield, we would truly be a formidable force in this world. Amen.